All right, let's read the text. The text won't even be something that we address until we get near the end. When you hear us, uh, when you hear me making noises that sound a little bit like this text, you'll know we're getting right near the finish. All right, here we go. A paraphrase from 1 John 2 and into 3 says this. And now, my friends, live deeply in the spirit of Christ. Do that, and you'll be ready for any situation. You'll not be red-faced, ashamed, guilty, or have to trot out some lame excuse about your life. No, draw deeply from the same indwelling spirit Christ did. Here's the greatest surprise history has ever sprung on us. You and me, we are children of God. That's exactly what we are. That is the great good news that Christ openly revealed to us. You and me, we are children of God. And so, again, friends, draw deeply from the Spirit of Christ. So Sundays in January, we're doing kind of a basic orientation of what we do at NRCC and why we do it. Uh, we've, uh, the first Sunday of the year, I talked about the Johari window. Uh, if you didn't have a chance to hear that, you should go ahead and listen online. It's about self-awareness. A deep embedded part of the spiritual life is the pursuit of self-awareness. Knowing what we do, knowing why we do it, what are the unspoken beliefs that influence how we live What are the value sets or the primal hurts that we're carrying around within ourselves? Being able to see those things is uh, of great importance for the spiritual life. And it is critical that we are able to see them from the vantage point of the inner observer. In other words, you have a very powerful thought, a very powerful belief system. You have a very powerful emotional reaction, and it exists. And most often, you and that thought are the same, commingled together. But what we do with self-awareness, which is why we do the contemplative practices, why we do the learning and the communal practices, what we do is we separate out the me's. There is the me that has that thought. There is the me that is embroiled in that emotion. There is the me that is having that reactionary response. And then there is the me that can stand over here and observe that me. What self-awareness does is it begins the process of disidentification with these thoughts, disidentification with these beliefs, disidentification with these value sets, all of which are usually born of an ego self that is a diminished part of our humanity. And so the first step on the spiritual journey is the self-awareness that allows me to stand outside and observe what I think and what I feel. Self-awareness, know thyself, Socrates says, is the beginning of wisdom. When we realize that we are not our thoughts, we think our thoughts. When we realize that we are not our feelings, we feel our feelings. We realize that there is something more to me than my thoughts and my feelings. There is a deeper part of us, a more defining part of us, what the spiritual journey has called the divine center that we can best experience as that outside observer that can watch and monitor us. You and I, we got this great gift. We got this big prefrontal part of our brains that many of the other animals didn't get. I don't know about the whales they might have. We don't know for sure. But we've got this really great receiver that allows us to receive divine input, allows us to experience things. And when we don't use it, we're often diminished away from the issue of self-awareness. We are living as automatons, robots following our basic brain circuitry, doing what we've always done, living out of habit, living the unexamined life. But we have this capacity, we have this gift. And so we began the year looking at 
self-awareness. If you come to the memorial service that I mentioned a moment ago, you will hear a story of redemption and restoration. And right at the epicenter of that story, there is the spiritual practice of knowing ourselves, standing outside of our thoughts and emotions and being able to observe them and disidentify with them, seeing them, not being them. So we moved on from there to talk about a very basic practice. It is the ancient practice of confession. However, we know that that word has so much baggage because it's been reduced to, you know, sitting in a formal box or having an accountability partner or some such thing. So we broadened our understanding of the conflict resolution process that we use to make, to help us understand that it is more than that. It is this issue of self-awareness and it is the safety of self-disclosure. And I pointed out how this ancient practice helps us when we are triggered by a pain response. When we have a precipitating event, when we have a negative emotion, it gives us the opportunity, rather than reacting, to then move into probing. What does it mean? What is the story that I'm telling myself? What am I assuming? What am I believing? What am I feeling? What is the primal hurt that is deep inside of me that this thing has been poked that is much bigger than this episode itself? And thus, awakened, we then move into a safe context for disclosing and sharing. And if you're not familiar with this, in a moment, I'm going to give you a handout. And we're going to be talking about putting the four practices into our lives. This would be a great learning practice for you this year. If you are not familiar with this, this would be a great learning project. So that's what we talked about the first week. Then last week, we talked about um, service, the serving practices, And in particular, we talked about a project we're undertaking with the organization Help One Now. We've begun relationship with three organizations as a community, two of them local here in the Triangle, the Food Bank and Wake Interfaith Hospitality Network. Uh, The first focuses on their efforts on hunger and poverty, the second on homelessness. And the third organization, the one that we talked about last week, focuses overseas, particularly in Haiti. And beginning the relationship that we are with this particular village in uh, northern Haiti, our hope is that over several years to develop relationship there as well as here in our own city uh, in ways that will help us know how to wisely give of ourselves and in the context of long-term relationship to better take up the mandate of Jesus to care for others and to better the earth. That's what we talked about last week. This week... I want to talk about what is the point of spirituality at all. Today I want to take a moment and begin to think about all these spiritual practices, what is the point? Now spirituality is the practice of tapping into deeper truth. That's a good working definition. It is the practice of tapping into deeper reality. Spirituality, the practice of tapping into deeper experience, accessing the deeper waters of the true life or the good life. There is, the ancient wisdom tells us, a reality that is bigger than the reality that we typically live in. There is, the ancient wisdom tells us, a dimension of truth that is bigger than the truth we typically live our lives in response to. A bigger reality, a bigger truth. 
And those who access this greater reality, those who access this deeper truth, they touch the most meaningful part that human experience has to offer. And spirituality has been the pursuit of that deeper reality, that deeper truth. Spirituality has been that human endeavor that says, I don't want to settle for just taking care of business. I don't want to just settle for making a living. I want to make life. I don't want to just settle for paying the bills, raising the kids, going grocery shopping. I don't want that to be the sum total of my experience on this earth. I want to access that which is available, that which is deeper. Now, of course, of course, of course, spirituality and the house that it lives in, which is religion, gets corrupted. Happens all the time. Generation after generation, it happens. Of course it does because spirituality is handled by human beings and human beings lose their way. Human beings always lose their way. Now the interesting thing is that thus far, human beings also always find their way back. We lose our way and we find our way back. But yes, religion has lost its way and in our lifetimes, we are coming after coming off of a long season here in the West in which religion has very much lost its way. And so our generation is given the mandate that many generations before us have also been given, and that is to find our ways again, to find our way back to the deeper reality, to find our way back to the deeper truths to find our way back into the experience of divine goodness, to find our way back into life and light and love, and truth, hopefulness, and faithfulness, and virtue. Here's how it tends to go through the centuries. We access something profound. We access that deeper thing, something alive. And then we are shaken from our old thought patterns. On the basis of seeing what we hadn't seen, we're shaken loose from our old motivation. We glimpse something bigger and we glimpse something truer and we become more alive. And then we try and take that glimpse of that which is bigger than can be glimpsed and we try and give it as a gift to our children. And we can only convey the experience imperfectly because we have to use words And we have to use thoughts. And words and thoughts and rituals and practices, these cannot perfectly capture or perfectly convey the kinds of experiences that people go through when they have this deeper reality become part of them. So we have to settle for giving our kids concepts or giving them ideas or giving them doctrines or giving them practices. And what happens is our transmission of the great truth that is embedded in our experience loses some of its integrity. And we do that for enough generations, and pretty soon spirituality devolves so far that the concept is divorced from the original experience. And then generations like ours are tasked with the responsibility of asking and seeking and knocking and finding the experience of the greater thing. It becomes the responsibility of those devolved generations to find the experience of the divine thing, to reorient ourselves 
And that is us. And that is this moment in history. And so, here at NRCC, as well as across the globe, there are communities like ours doing the same thing, casting about to find out that which has been lost, on a quest to restore that which has become corrupted, on a mission to redeem that which has been broken. And it is a growing throng. There are a lot of people out there writing, a lot of people out there seeking. I just got something in the mail yesterday. Look at this. This is the, the proof copy for my new book. <laughs> and what I realized is, as I was looking at the writing process, how many people are now writing and sharing and engaging in this process of seeking and knocking and asking and finding. And so, at this critical moment in human history, we reorient ourselves to the most basic elements of the spiritual life. We leave behind the encrusted traditions. We leave behind the encrusted narratives that have grown limp and lifeless over time. And we seek to discover what the ancients (laughs) tried their best to describe to us. We seek to experience as best as we can based on the words that they have given us, which are only imperfect pointers, something that is bigger than ourselves. We try to glimpse that which cannot be glimpsed. We try and taste that which cannot be tasted. We try and understand that which cannot be understood. And being people of language, we have no choice but to try and shoehorn that irreducible taste, that irreducible sight, that irreducible experience down into a string of finite reductionist words. Words that are a vain attempt to capture something very real and something very deep that is only accessed through experience. It will not do to have a religion of doctrines posted on the wall. It will not do to have a religion of stories that we access to, acquiesce to. It will not do to have beliefs that we all say, we believe, so therefore we're in the club. That divorces the spiritual life from the profound experiential basis in which it is rooted. And words are a vain attempt to capture these deep, profound experiences. Now, when we're trying to use these imperfect words, we hit on a few code words that are an attempt to talk about that which cannot be talked about. Words like God and the divine and spirit. And we use them. Of course we do. They're all we have. But we have to recognize that those are not the point. Those are the pointers. They point us to a deepened experience. And so throughout history, ancient wisdom tells us that people, people no different than you and me, they weren't smarter than you and I are, they're more more spiritual than you and I, they didn't have better brains, they didn't have better religion. People just like you and me accessed this human dimension that we are given as gift, the experience of the mysterious, the experience of the beyond words reality. And once that is experienced, it changes everything. I was with someone recently telling me the story of her journey. 
And she read me some words from a book that had jumped off a page at her. It was the new devotional book that Richard Rohr has written. The words were this. If in the presence of God you don't feel safe or protected, then I don't think it is God you are experiencing. It is something else. Perhaps it is a God that is not God. Let me read that again. If in the presence of God you don't feel safe or protected, then I don't think it is God that you are experiencing. It is something else. Perhaps it is a God that is not God. So she read me those words after having told me the story of a profound breakthrough in her crumbling, very demanding, difficult marriage. I came to realize, she said, that I am worthy of being loved. And that simple realization changed the whole dynamic in our relationship. I came to realize that I can relate differently to my husband because I am at the depths of who I am safe. I came to realize that I am going to thrive. I am going to grow. Irrespective of how this marriage goes or doesn't go, I am going to flourish. I am alive. I am safe. Whatever God is, God is good. I am safe. And that has so profoundly shifted the dynamic in our relationship. She said, right now, I don't know that my husband knows what to do with me. And so we continued to chat for a bit. And after a bit, bit, I began to tell her back things that I had heard her say. And I said, after I had told her some of the things that I had heard her say, you know, I don't think it was some mental construct that you have now come to that has so profoundly changed you or changed the dynamic in your relationship. I don't think it's a new belief. I don't think it's a new doctrine. I don't think it's anything that can be contained in thought or word. I think what has profoundly changed you is experience. The words that you read to me, I think they stood off the page. I mean, there's probably 8,000 words in that book or 80,000 words in that book. Of all the words that you read, those 15 or 20 words, those stood out because they imperfectly, but they slightly captured something that was your profound experience. And I said, I think that experience that you had is worthy of the ancient code word, God. I think you experienced God. And now here are some words that are trying to capture that experience. And there will be a vain attempt, but the reason those words just seem so profound to you is because they reflect what you already experienced. And we went on to talk about one of the things that we've talked together about as a community, that usually when we think of God, we break God down into a noun. The three parts of language, noun, subject, object, there's other parts, but if you just take those three parts, and we're going to choose among those, we would usually choose of God as the subject, the one who does the action, the one who gets the modifier words. If you've got a noun, the next thing you look for is adjectives. We would call that the attributes of God. God, the noun, is like this and this and this and this and this, and then we define God, and we say God is there in that nice, tidy noun package. But I said, sometimes in our tradition, we've had to push against that very familiar construct and think of God as verb. Instead of thinking of God as the subject, we think of God as the motion, the movement. And so it tortures our language because we're not used to doing it this way. But when loving is happening, God-ing is happening. When grace-ing is happening, 
God-ing is happening. When worth-ing is happening, God-ing is happening. And I said, I think what happened to you is that imperfectly constructed word that we have to use, God-ing. God-ing happened. And because of the experience, there has been the transformation. And that is the way this spiritual life works. All words do is point imperfectly at the deep and profound experiences of God life, God light, God love. Well, that's the point of the spiritual journey. The point of the spiritual journey is to do the things that those who have gone before us have done that put us in the position where these kinds of things happen to us, where we see what we had not seen, hear what we had not heard where we begin to develop eyes that see and ears that hear. We do the things that history informs us will take us to the place where divine mystery experience happens. And we wait there until we experience, and when we do, it awakens us from slumber. We wait there until we experience and the experience help us, helps us transcend the limits of thinking of ourselves as only ego. We wait there until we have experience, and it helps us move beyond the deadness that so much characterizes our human existence. We connect to the bigger life. We plug into the bigger life. And when that happens, everything happens. It makes sense to think about transcending the limits of ego as self. It makes makes sense to think about transcending these narrow little life narratives that we live. When it happens, the ancient tells us, it changes our orientation to the whole world. Having tasted the bigger reality, we are changed. Having seen what with eyes that see and heard with ears that hear, we realize that the divine reality isn't just a concept. Divine reality is something that is in us and by us, and above us, and below us, and around us, and of us. And so, you know, the scriptures struggle with how to talk about where the divine is. Is it in, or of, or by, or above, or below? One of the Psalms says, God is before me, behind me, above me, and below me. We, we just struggle with thinking about where it is, and we have to finally settle is, whatever it is, it is within me. Whatever it is, I am of it. And it is of me. It's not in some faraway place out there as religion has tended to reduce it to be where God exists out there in heaven someplace. It is much closer than that. Much more intimate and alive and experiential than that. And the destiny of the divine infused man and the divine infused woman and the divine infused child is to live in and to live from this deeper reality. And when we do that, it changes the point of life on this earth. We become midwives. We become those who stand by and bring the divine into our worlds and breathe life into our days We become artisans who paint and who sculpt the divine life into our neighborhoods and into our schools. 
We become engineers who are about the business of building divine life into our homes and into our communities. We become co-creators, collaborators with this deep divine life. Co-creators who shape the world according to divine textures and who shape the relationships around us and who shape the companies that we work in and who shape the families and friendships that we inhabit because we become the carriers of, the participants in this divine life because we've had the experience. We have seen, we have heard, we have tasted, we have touched. And tapping into that bigger life, carrying the instincts that are born of this new vision, this new sight, this is what allows us to live the way Jesus called us to live. We see solutions to problems that we didn't used to see. Solutions to problems most people don't see. We see a broken relationship. We see that the love is gone. And that's no great insight. Many people can see that. But now we see the divine that exists in that part of the relationship. We see the divine that exists in that part of the relationship. And we see the possibility of how wounders who have been wounded can be healed and restored. And how restoration that was once thought impossible can begin to go. We see things that we could not have seen. Again, you come today after lunch and you'll hear a story of how that happens. In our, gener- in our generation's quest to recover the most basic foundation of the spiritual life, the religious life, this is what we're finding. This is the experience that is beyond words. There is one. There is that kind of experience. There is life. There is a way. There is truth that is beyond words. And those who walk the spiritual path find the experience. Interestingly, when they find it, they tell a whole lot of different stories about it. They've got a whole lot of different doctrines about it. That's why the church has never never been able to agree with other religions, and that's why the church can't even agree with itself across other religions. It's because we have different narratives in our head, but the experience becomes a unifying reality. Those who walk the spiritual path Find the experience that does not lend itself to words. But though it doesn't lend itself to words, doesn't mean it's unattainable. It doesn't mean that it's some far-off, mysterious thing for the rarefied few. This is normalized spiritual life. In the generations that do find their way back again, it's for everybody. It's commonplace. It's easy. Once we discover the right context, we discover the right way into this profound human experience. And that's what we've been doing at NRCC. That's what's been happening across the globe. That's what this new emerging movement is about. It is the mission to find and recover what has been lost to this wandering religious generation. And while we haven't got the whole picture going back into our history, and going back and observing our own experiences together, we have a lot of the picture. And a lot of the picture has something to do with this thing that I keep putting up all year long. It's somehow related to the four categories of practice that you've been seeing now for about a year. Relearning the communal spiritual practices. Relearning the contemplative spiritual practices. Relearning how to learn and relearning the service spiritual practices. 
So I've prepared a handout for you for today. And in a moment, when I, when I give it out, I'm going to encourage you to take it home and take a look at it. Uh, what are you doing that integrates the contemplative into your life? What are you doing that integrates the communal? What are you going to learn this year? Where will you serve this year? And there will be some suggestions on this, and there will be some space for you to do your own worksheet. And uh, we're going to start passing these around. So now next week, we're going to have our last kind of orientation to what NRCC does and why we do it meeting. And that's going to be our church family meeting. You heard that during the announcements. You'll see that we're doing the things that we're going to work on together really orient themselves around these four categories of spiritual practice. We're going to do some work together to try and make it easier for you to experience spiritual friendship. We're going to try and do some work together to make it easier for all of us to participate in the contemplative. You're going to hear, you heard about that one that I mentioned earlier, the examine of consciousness. Already we're creating an environment where you can experience three. You can learn examine of consciousness, you can practice it as a contemplative practice, and you can share your experience with a group of three or four other people to talk about how it is and what are the troubles and what are you learning and how do you do it. You can share the journey, three of the four practices, by just coming for six Wednesday nights in February and March. You'll see that we're going to focus on things that we could learn together. But don't wait for that. We've got the reading list already on the website. Go get a new book. These categories of practice have a long and storied history. People who do these kinds of practices have those transformative kinds of experiences. That's just the way that this thing goes. Now, here's the deal. You get maybe one more day on this planet. Maybe you get 80-something years. But they're your days, and they're all you get. And you can live this life consumed by mowing the grass, going grocery shopping, solving problems, getting a paycheck, and then you can come to your deathbed And you can walk out of this little bit of a scratch of time that you get on this planet. And that can be your experience. Or you can recognize that there is something divine about being human. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know exactly how to describe it in words. But the quest for that and the pursuit of that is something profound and meaningful through all of human history. And those who have gone before us have made it slightly easier for us by using words imperfectly to point us in a generalized area that say, if you go this way, you will have that experience. And that generalized way is somehow embodied on that piece of paper you're holding. Now, that makes those four categories of practice your choice, your responsibility. Those who have gone before us says, if you have a network of spiritual friends, you will, go, you will experience that life much more deeply. 
If you take on the contemplative, if you still and quiet yourself, if you create space to get out of the frenzied busyness, if you do some of the things that are listed there, if you take a Sabbath, if you give yourself some electronics days off, if you, if you quiet your soul, if you learn and take the, the ruts that are in your brain that always go where they've always gone and you learn something that causes you to bump out of that rut and think new thoughts and explore new possibilities, if you serve and give of yourself so that your world is not shrunk down to me and my and mine, if you do these practices, you will be much more likely to have the deep, profound experience. So as a community, we're going to try and help one another. We're going to try and create things, and we're going to try and do things, and we're going to try and make opportunities to make this easier. But ultimately, it can't be our collective responsibility It has to be each of our responsibility to hammer out these realities in our lives. What I'm going to do is during the year, whenever I get to do the community chat, I will pull out one of these things and I will wave it around and I'll say, hey, do this thing. Hey, this would be a good idea. Hey, this would be that. But whether I do that or don't do that, whether you like the idea of coming out on a Wednesday night or don't like the idea of coming out on Wednesday night, you need those kinds of things in your life. So I would encourage you to create space to make those kinds of things in your life. You'll notice as you go through the worksheet that there's some suggestions at the top, and that's just what they are, suggestions. They happen to be rooted in history. Many have gone before us, have done, found these to be good suggestions. But do you have something communal? Do you have something spiritually communal? Do you have something contemplative? Do you have something learning? And you have something serving. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds right now to just read through the list. Are you ready? Because, you know, you might forget when you get home. Go ahead and read through it. Ready? Get set. 30 seconds. Go. You're going home with a paper. (laughs) You've got a paper. Take it home. Give it some thought. Give it some time. And once you've reflected on what you're already doing, once you've reflected on what you might do, Come to the community meeting next week. Hear the kinds of things that we're going to be working on to help one another. And then listen to the announcements through the course of the year. But keep in your mind, these practices are important for you. So, Spirit of God, may we be alive to the divine life within us. May that be so among us in Jesus' name. Amen.